Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, today, I have a special colleague that I met through a friend in Cayman Islands. And it's it's talk. It's a funny thing about connections. So hi, Trina. So glad you could be here with us today. Oh, I'm excited to be here. And Kim, if you're listening, this is happening because of you. Yeah. Um, so uh, Trina is, um, has, is in a, a field that I think most of us would find very intriguing. I'll, I'll just read a little bit about her bio and we'll jump right in because we're going to have such a fantastic conversation. Uh, Trina Rilkoff is a conflict management and resiliency specialist, international author, and the founder of TLR Solutions for Conflict, Inc. As a trauma-informed mediator, psychological health and safety advisor, workplace fairness and restoration analyst, and the resiliency tra trainer and facilitator, her passion is to support leaders, organizations, and businesses to become the architects of their conflict-resilient workplace. Wow, that's that's a lot in there, uh, Trina. So, why it's fascinating that I the topic of resilience. I think that's a that's becoming. I'm going to use the word buzzword because we hear it a lot, Trina. Um, and I think I want you to start off by kind of sharing with us what a what an average definition of resilience is and what it's not. Okay. Um, so the one that's very popular is resiliency is the idea to bounce back after adversity. How I like to frame it is resiliency is the ability to bounce back after conflict, adversity, or a traumatic experience, individual, personal or professional, but then from that experience of that event or incident, you have now gained skills, knowledge, and experience that has made you stronger for that next conflict, adversity, or incident. So what resiliency is not, it's not just eating well, sleeping well, and getting having a community. It's actually identifying skill sets and traits that you know you have because you've experienced and used them in different environmental contexts and they're in your back pocket that you pull out the next time you need it. I like that because often you hear that basic definition, you know, it's how long you're going to stay, when something happens, how long you're going to stay yeah. down and get back up, right? It's like a, the bounce back effect. But what I hear that I like about it is, and you know, who, has not been through something. I mean, we've all to yep. have lived and breathed means we've been through things either per personally, professionally, and oftentimes both uh, based on the extent of, or length of our career. So it's really kind of understanding in those moments when things aren't so good, what did I apply? What didn't work? Yep. What did I learn for the first time? And maybe how do I iterate that each and every time um, should something come along again? 
Mm -hmm. And it's resiliency is not just personal, it's personal, professional, operational, and organizational. So it's learning risk management within yourself and within your environmental contexts. And it's transferable, mm -hmm. transformational. Let's just talk about this, you know, op operational and organizational, right? So, um, you know, I think that the average person isn't going to think about that within the family, right? Yeah. We're not. Yeah. Um, but I think within organizations, um, you know, I in my is my tenure as a, a psychotherapist, I, I was a first responder and and oftentimes organizations back in my time, I'm going to date my time, yeah. it was a nice to have, right? Yeah. It's kind of within, you know, generally the norm for people that don't know about it is within 24 hours of a traumatic event occurring in the workplace. Um, you get in, you educate, you have a team come in, they educate on the biological, psychological, and emotional impact on employees. Yeah. And um, just to kind of have people recognize what's normal. And then, Within 72 hours, we, you know, generally you'd get a debriefing, which is kind of really getting into the impact of what the trauma is with the individuals. Um, when I worked in corporate, it, you know, companies were coming along with that, Trina. What is, what is it like now? Like, I mean, I know you and I chatted a little bit about a, an event that your daughter had recently gone through. Mm -hmm. what, what are you finding the pulse being when something traumatic is happening and, and people's kind of responses organizationally to it. Right. Well, it, it's twofold because we know with businesses organization, it comes down to time, money, reputation, and retention. And unless there is not metrics available to show what the impact of a potential or a traumatic event or incident occurred, it's hard to create a baseline and where to go from there. And you don't understand or realize the potential cost, time, money, liability, healthcare, disability, that might result of being reactive, not proactive. So when we look in the workplaces right, right now, and we think of our experiences with COVID and new, new legislation, like a lot of businesses aren't aware within provincially and federally that under Occupational Health and Safety Labor Code law now, every business needs to have a workplace assessment and have policy and procedure in place for workplace violence and harassment, mm -hmm. right? Because it's so new. And, and if we look at um, the impact of COVID and historically of events that have occurred, I guess, new, new information worldwide. And I kind of think COVID helped facilitate it. So Canada has the Canadian National Standards of Creating Psychological Health and Safety. And then the Geneva Convention actually adopted some of those. Last year, I believe in 2022, the ISO standards, it became what is, you know, psychological health and safety in the workplace, workplace violence. And then Australia has taken the lead over Canada because they've implemented it into their government, into all work. And then the U.S. just established the workplace mental health framework. So when we look at all these new initiatives of framework, you can get the policy procedure, but what does it look like, feel like for people in the workplace? So an example, like using my daughter, she experienced um, 
in her work being a part of a robbery and having first responder experience and clinical experience in the background, my first question was, where was the immediate critical incident response after to ensure nothing internalized of potential fears going forward? So when we're looking at a workplace assessment, what is what is the voice? What are everybody's feelings in that workplace? Do they feel safe both physically and psychologically? When we link in organizational and operational resiliency, the, the, the um, company store, it opened back up within less than a six hour time frame and resumed everyday work. But then we reflect on how did it impact everybody who was working there that day? And if we look at organizational operational resiliency, they were resilient in the effect that they were able to go back into being in business pretty quick after a robbery. However, the personal and professional resiliency with a traumatic incident is individual. My daughter, being a very resilient young lady, has experienced certain events, and we used to live in higher risk cities out west in Canada, where you had to be aware and alert to your surroundings and how to respond to people and events. So when we're looking at her recovery after this incident, she was able to identify, yep, I, I'm having a traumatic experience, the fear, the anxiety, um, she couldn't stay working, she thought she could, but then when she knew I didn't feel safe at the moment because she was processing everything, she called and said, I'm coming home. Hmm. And then when we talked about the resiliency of going back to work, because some people would not feel safe to go back to work. She was able to process, I'm safe physically because, and she listed off what is safe within where she works in her workplace. She was safe because of the safe relationship and psychological um, protection she had with her manager to be able to have transparent and open conversations about the experience. They did a debriefing. And then she was also able to process what she saw as her resiliency of going back to where, and this is where I'm talking, the back pocket of skill sets. When she was threatened at a younger age, in Saskatchewan, hmm. right? And there was a threat of serious harm and she was at a young age. And how did we process the feelings, the emotions, and then confirm she was safe? And what did that look like and feel like? So when we look at her experience, we look at our organizational operational resiliency, what does that look like now with COVID? We've re-entered the workplace, but COVID and the effects of COVID are still present for many people. So having that organizational operational resiliency comes in with risk mitigating mental health, psychological safety. It's like an after effect, um, quite literally, Trina, because, you know, when I talk to clients and, you know, they talk, start to talk a lot about um, fear you know, what I've been hearing a lot from a lot of people is that they are feeling when I'm coaching them or, you know, even managers with teams or, or leadership teams are saying, you know, people are going on 
you know, like, but, but they're still haven't processed, I think a lot of people, and then also people that have been through other losses, right? Like, yeah. and we know, uh, because, you know, you and I talk the same language for people listening. Um, you may not know, but when, if somebody has gone through something traumatic prior to an event, what there's a residual, I'm going to call it a reverb effect that occurs that puts that person at higher risk um, for not being able to be resilient enough to be able to go on and function. So you think about a robbery. And I mean, when I was um, in consulting, you know, uh, bank robberies, you know, would happen with some of the uh, accounts that I would manage. And those tellers, quite literally, at that time, and I'm talking 25 years ago to date myself, um, at that time, the banks didn't think it through as much. They offered a bit of support, but that translates out into the metrics that happened after the fact. And I think it's really important that we talk about that because mm-hmm. um, we think that, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're, 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 we can deal with that, but we know that biologically, psychologically, and emotionally, we can only... I would say rent space for a limited period of time yeah. um, and before it, it kind of shows its cracks. And that's what I often yeah. say. Right. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that, because I think that's important for, let's say, the average leadership team that's mm-hmm. listening in and they're saying, well, what does that kind of mean? Like, you know, you're talking about assessments and you talk about yeah. numbers and, you know, what does that mean? Um, and how does, let's say I'm in an industry and we kind of, we put a little bit of a band-aid off it and we send people mm-hmm. off and say, well, I think they're fine. Trina's fine. I chatted with her. She says she's yeah. okay. Um, what kinds of things have you, can you find out about that event? Let's start at the beginning and then let's kind of look at uh, mitigating the risks as you go and what kind of metrics um, leadership teams or leaders should be thinking about as they consider what kind of things they should implement. Okay. Well, I'll start with kind of an analogy because then it helps put it in perspective that everybody can understand and relate to. So say it's winter time and there's ice in front of the main entrance of the business. The ice is the hazard. The risk for clients, stakeholders, employees coming in is a risk to fall and have an injury of a bruise. And that's the you know minimal risk. But then the 100% risk is depending on how an individual fell, could result in death. So you've identified the hazardous ice, you've assessed the risks, which could be zero, no injury to 100% a serious injury and death and or death. And then how do you mitigate that risk? You put, you know, salt on it or sand on it. There's signs like you go down, down Toronto when it's springtime and you see the sign saying there might be falling ice, right? Mm-hmm. They're mitigating the risk of an injury on a sidewalk to the public. So now you put that in the context of a workplace organization and say there was a car accident and somebody got seriously injured in the car accident while working. So they are now off. And there's been an upscale in sales or business, but now they're short staffed. Most and, you know, common practice was reactive responses to how do we mitigate short-staffed, not getting out the, the, the products or, you know, meeting the deadlines of whatever is the business. So how would we mitigate that? Well, now under Occupational Health and Safety Labor Code and looking at workplace violence and harassment, workload is now considered a hazard, a workplace hazard. 
Unmitigated workload in a business or organization can contribute to risk of employees experiencing mental health and or physical health impact, negative impact, illness, which then means stress leave, disability, potential re retention, right? Issues with retention and our reputation. Because now after the experience of COVID, more younger generations, even my kids, right? They're, they're saying they're looking for workplaces, careers, organizations, businesses that create that psychological health and safe workplace. So when we're looking at time, money, retention, reputation, and the resiliency of organization operational, what have some businesses done to make it feel both physically safe and psychologically safe returning to work after COVID? Or have they basically just said back to work and there's no open transparent discussion? So what do people then do reactively? They take sick leave, stress leave, put in harassment complaints. The bullying goes up because wellness is just not eat well, sleep well, have a community, do some fun, you know, potlucks. Wellness is just one component where mental health is another component and psychological safety is another component. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here to okay. the employer listening, and they're gonna say, you know what, Trina? <laughs> We've lost massive share. We've, we've managed through things. You know, we got to yeah. wake up and start to get back to work. Yeah. So I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I completely agree with yeah. what you're saying. But on the other end, there's, I think with employers that I'm speaking to, they're like, when you open up this divide, yeah. what if you can't close it up again? And I think that's where humans and just when we look back and how we've all just, it's human nature. Conflict avoidance is easy. Conflict curiosity is kind of anxiety provoking because it's the unknown. So if we take it into the context of becoming conflict and trauma resilient, mm -hmm. the idea of this new baseline, the Occupational Health and Safety Code Labor Code with the workplace assessment and if you put it in the context of COVID, where how we used to live with COVID, it's like a death. We have to grieve it. Now is the time in life where we get to create a new leadership legacy. What is it going to look like to create and improve that intergenerational conflict resiliency in business and personal and professional? So for a business organization, Compliance, because it's going to cost you a lot of money if you don't comply and you're not even aware of the new labor code law. What's that cost? But if you enter it into, you're creating a baseline, being the architect, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you're the business, you're going to build a new skyscraper, you need a solid foundation. Without that solid foundation, the skyscraper is not going to stand, right? A hurricane, a windstorm, snowstorm, it's going to collapse. So by Engaging in curiosity, conflict curiosity, the workplace assessment allows specific metrics based on the Canadian national standards of psychological health and safety of what is the culture, what is the feeling, what is the voice of the people from the very front line all the way to the CEO. And what is so enabling and engaging is that the survey is confidential, 
all the metrics are stored within Canadian Occupational Health and Safety, the department, right? Nobody can access. So it's voluntary, confidential, but an organization actually gets the metrics of, say, 100 people did the workplace assessment. 50% are being feeling discriminated. Out of the 50, 20 are being discriminated based on a trauma experience related to COVID. So it'll break it down specifically and identify the gaps, the pain points, the unresolved historical conflict, but then it will also identify what are the resilient strengths of the organization and operation and what's the easiest cost-effective way to make improvements in a business that have sometimes no cost is listening to what the employees want and need. So I recently did a workplace assessment and what was interesting was through the assessment and it was not just the survey, but then there was individual confidential focus groups and interviews was coming back to work. And it was a very high risk environment that what employees really needed was, was upper management, the CEO, the leaders to just come out of their office and do check-ins, not do your, your regular routine of where you have to go do the, the walkthrough of different areas and check in. But they wanted that authentic connection of just come out and just check in and see how we're doing. Something that basic. So what you're saying is that a lot of since so this got um, instituted by the government. Was this recently? Um, how, uh, how recently with the standards with the psychological oh. Yeah, the so psychological, the, the psychological health and safety national standards have been with Canada for 10 years. It was this year was their 10 year anniversary. Okay, okay. But it's only recent because of mental health in the workplace and well being that's becoming recognized that there are psychosocial hazards, not just physical hazards, but psychosocial hazards. Right, right. And like you're saying, if I, you know, you're thinking, well, I think it, the solution is enough. And then you do what you think you need to do. And if you don't get a baseline from an assessment, let's say with this robbery um, and, yep. and what amazing information they would get, mm -hmm. right? Because then this is an international company um, that has locations across Canada and the impact is, let's say they do this on not very well. Yep. Uh, and it's a, you know, basically, um, you know, a, I think it's a 24 seven service. Um, and let's say you do it poorly on one location and that ripple effect. So other people working, say the particular shift that your daughter was working or even just working off shift or maybe not even off shift, right? And you do it poorly, then what does that do? Like you said, to retention um, with people thinking, well, I like what I do, but I don't wanna be held at gunpoint. Yeah. And, and it's reputation too, right? Because right, depending on the business, the cost of reputation, you can't do a little formula for that if it's a major company. So it's like thinking, I always ask, so when you see your company in the news, do you want to see this company did not have anything proactively in place to mm -hmm. mitigate physical and psychological risks due to a robbery? Or do you want to see in the news, this company is ahead of the game. They are taking the lead in creating psychological health and safety in the workplace and ensuring their staff, 
employees, clients are safe, feel welcome, and we look after our staff and our clients. Right. Absolutely. So it's that reputation. I mean, that, yeah, that would just be a backdrop to that company versus all of a sudden, you know, you're realizing they, yeah. and you know, now we are our own media, oh, right? Yeah. You have interaction, somebody puts something on social and yeah. it doesn't get addressed. That's, that's like, you know, wildfire where, and it, it, that reputation, like you said, then you're like calling in people to mitigate the reputation that yeah. now has, it's kind of come out of the gate and now you got to yeah. pull it back, right? So yeah, and you do a cost comparison of, okay, the cost to bring somebody in to mitigate the reputation now that's been tarnished or somebody also through that event put in a workplace violence complaint that now has to be investigated. So the cost of the investigation and what are the potential outcomes of it versus being proactive and should an event come, you've already recognized what are the psychosocial hazards? What are the risks? What is missing? What is working and how to strengthen that? And then should an investigation come or a lawsuit, you already have the liability covered saying we've done this, this, this implemented. Yes, the event happened. This is the action we took because we were aware of proactive measures we needed to mitigate the psychosocial risk. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thank you for tuning in again. Before I sign off, I want you to consider what is it disrupting your bottom line? Just a reminder that my book, Return on Relationships, will be available on June 10th on Amazon, and it's available today on my website at roxanderhodge.com forward slash book. For more tools, insights, and anecdotes about your leadership story, consider pre-ordering. You'll find the link in the show notes.